0: Uh, thank you for your invitation to be back this Sunday and trust you've had a, a great week and you've seen God at work in and through you um, as you've yeah, just sought to continue to surrender your life to Him in all that you are and all that you do. And I'm thankful I've got my voice back, um, which is good. have uh, got through that and we've had a good week at Cape and Ray just uh, sharing with the students those Monday, Tuesday lecturing there and, and uh, yeah just seeing the students just continue to grow and we wrestle together with, with uh, topics and, and concepts and, and real life matters and so we've had a good time these, these two weeks particularly that we've uh, been able to share at Cape and Ray and um, stand in for while Peter Thomas has been away. Uh, he and Callum will fly back in tonight so uh, the school can get back to normal and, uh, and we'll head off to Taree uh, on Tuesday and we'll head home, make our journey back there. But uh, thank you for your welcome and your hospitality to us as a family and we do appreciate that. And, and uh, for those that, um, that weren't here last week, we tackled uh, the Tower of Babel and, and, uh, and the, the folk that, uh, that built that monstrosity of a structure. Uh, we looked at their, their God concept and the need that we need to have of having a big God concept a God concept that comes from um, biblical roots when God reveals to us who he is through the, through the the written word, through Jesus the living word that we would glean our understanding of God we would have that revelation of God based on what he says about himself not what we think about him and so this morning what I wanted to do is just sort of um, butt onto the end of that um, going into Colossians chapter 1 and verse fifteen to twenty, and talking about the supremacy and the sufficiency of God. And, and thanks, to Adam, for your leading. I, I've just loved these two weeks, just um, being led by you and your sincere heart that comes through in in sharing the scriptures and uh, and leading us in song. And and you know, already what you've said is just really just beautiful to see this picture that we've we've got a supreme, a sufficient God in Jesus Christ. And uh, and that's. My thought this morning that I want to bring to you based out of this passage, let us start with a word of prayer as we, uh, as we welcome God into our hearts. He is here, as Adam has said, we welcome him into this moment to teach us and to lead us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are supreme, you are sufficient. Lord, uh, as we come to the text, as we come to the whole of scripture, it speaks of that. And we ask you to lead us and to guide us. Um, by the spirit of god to quicken our our hearts and our minds with with your truth lord we thank you for this opportunity we have to meet freely and without opposition or persecution but freely to be a group of people that want to meet together and hear from you and to encourage each other Uh, lord given this opportunity we have we just look forward to you and say thank you in advance what you're going to do and we say thank you in jesus name amen let me read the text to you Um, colossians it's uh it's a it's a beautiful book it's it's one of my favorites and um of course as paul wrote this uh, paul and timothy write this to the church in colossi It's to be written as a letter As, as it was written as a letter to be read as a letter and so if you get some opportunity um this afternoon this week Maybe pick up Colossians and read it like a letter from way to go, from start to finish, and just get the beautiful picture of what's going on there. I'll read this, uh, this short text of five verses and let's start to uh, consider um, our amazing, incomparable Christ that we have. I'll read verse 13 as it starts a paragraph in in my version. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him, "'And for him, he is before all things, "'and in him all things hold together. "'He is the head of the body, that is the church, "'and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, "'so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. "'For it was the Father's good pleasure "'for all the fullness to dwell in him, "'and through him to reconcile all things to himself, "'having made peace through the blood of the cross.' Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. As you stand back and you watch our society wrestle and get challenged with various circumstances or situations, it's hard not to see our society, our community, just see Jesus as largely irrelevant, as largely pushed aside. The importance of Christ who he is seems to be um, in very much in the backdrop and as Christians it's really hard to accept that isn't it? it's really hard to to see because for those who have tasted Christ his power and his presence and and, and his beautiful nature and his his revelation of, of of himself to us it's hard for us to sit back and accept that and say society but community there's there's so much more you're missing out on it's hard not to feel that isn't it our society can reduce jesus to the point of inconsequence one amongst many this pluralistic view of religion of gods that he's just one more in a long procession of ones that may offer some kind of help in this life we know the, the famous stage show, Jesus Christ Superstar. Maybe that's just who people see him as. Maybe just a good bloke. He lived a good life. Or maybe some see him as a troublemaker, a renegade, a freedom fighter. But when we come to this text, we see him, don't we, as the origin and source of everything in the universe and capable of rescuing mankind, paying the cost and reconciling mankind to god so when we look at society our community and, and its views its philosophies its ideologies we have such an extreme of perceptions don't we have to survey our community but that's not good enough we, we come to the truth of the scriptures to guide us that he would tell us he would reveal to us who he is and let our thinking and our emotions be guided by what is truth of what he reveals rather than perhaps what we might glean from our society thinking through how paul writes to the colossian church he's addressing a particular philosophy that's uh, that's come through that he's aware of that's endangering those within the church those that are the body of christ the people the community of jesus christ the philosophy it's not spelt out what he's actually particularly addressing but there's some little snippets here that we can see in in uh, chapter 2 and verse 8 in chapter 2 16 to 23 it talks of there's human traditions coming into people's thinking there's false wisdom there's this um, angel worship there's good arguments that are being thrown around but they're denying the the deity the the incomparable christ for who he is and so these is a bit of idea about what sort of is 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 confronting this this church these people in colossi most likely the Christians in Colossae are perhaps being hounded by some loudmouth Jews who are, are really just putting forward a, a, a challenging argument to challenge their salvation, that it's secured in Christ alone. But there's more, guys. There's more you've got to do. Jesus isn't enough. Maybe that's a message that's being hounded towards them. There's possibly opponents, likely outsiders, who are using the same scriptures to argue against the very point that Paul is actually trying to make in his letter of the new hope that they found in Christ, in Christ alone. Paul writes timeless truth, and that's why it's so applicable to us today. Timeless truth for 2015 in Australia as well. To keep us on the path where we started out with Christ, to remain and continue in that path following Christ. And so, like the people of the Colossian church, we too can be in danger of the same kind of thing. We can be in that same danger of the challenge that comes from outside, the challenge that comes from our society, even the challenge that comes from religious circles, that Jesus isn't enough. We have that great Aussie saying, don't we, that she'll be right and sadly there's a lot of people that sort of hold to that that she will be all right i'll get through this life and she'll be right when i die but when we come to the, this text when we come to the bible as a whole she won't be all right we need to do something about we need to respond to the christ that is etched in our history and is real today the same yesterday today forever this is the jesus that we must respond to We don't want to allow this, this toxic thinking that, that comes through media and, and just people's comments and people's, and events and circumstances to, to degrade the position that we want to have. We need to take when it comes to understanding the Lord Jesus Christ. So this message of Paul for the church in Colossae is the same for us today. To keep it central, to keep Christ the central, his person and hold unswervingly that he alone is our sufficient saviour and our supreme lord and so when we look at verse 15 to 17 paul reminds the church he's reminding us that christ is supreme he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him all things hold together because Paul reminds the church of this he reminds us of this because it is the best defense against anything else to know Jesus and to know the truth of him is the best defense against any kind of uh, toxic message that's going to come that's going to degrade Christ to something other than who he really is when I left school I um, worked in for Westpac I worked four years in the bank and as a junior as an 18 year old just starting out, just learning the ropes. One of the things that my supervisor had me do in the first day or two of starting working in the bank was they sent me out the back room into the, into the safe and they handed me wads of money. I'm thinking, this is great. But it's not mine. Handed me wads of money. Why? Why did they hand me wads of money? So I would go out there and spend the next hour or two just playing with money for the express purpose to get to know the real notes, to get to know the real coinage. They didn't bring me samples of fakes and say, well, here's one we found last week and here's one from last year, get to know these fakes. No, they sent me out the back with all these 50s, 100s, 20s, 10s, 5s. It's like a young bloke's wonderland. But for the express purpose to get to know the original so that if there was ever a fake that came over the counter, you'd pick it up like that. That's why Paul reminds us in this text, not that he's going to attack and, and, and pull apart every single philosophy or, or idea, but what he's trying to do is actually lift their vision to Christ so that they would know him, so that when a fake walks in, as it were, as a toxic message walks in, they go, that's not of him we dismiss it we stand on the truth of Christ and so he gives us this picture to understand that knowing Christ is the best defense against any message Christ is supreme over all creation Christ is the image of the invisible God Hebrews uh, chapter 1 verse 3 and he that is Jesus Christ is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds upholds all things by the word of his power And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is the image of the invisible God. And the question is begged to ask, isn't it? How can something that's invisible have an image? And the simple answer is by sharing in the reality of. Christ is not a reproduction. He's not a a copy of God. But exact and visible of God. In Christ we see who God is and what he is like and what God does and and that's the revelation of God to us in Christ. If you could just turn quickly to John chapter ten, let's let's look at Christ. Let's look at the way he speaks and, and deals with with this particular matter. You know just the start of chapter 10 is the parable of the good shepherd he's saying i am the good shepherd and then you get to 22 and he he starts to hone in on on this this point that uh that he's uh, that he's made through the this parable of the good shepherd of his connection with the father and, and and there's some stirring going on with the pharisees and and those that are listening i love verse 19 a division occurred again amongst the jews because of these words What does it take to have a division one that's for and one's against so there's people that are really buying this and really engaging and getting this and they're loving what they're hearing but then the division occurs because there's opposition no we can't stand this this teaching we can't stand this guy jesus then goes on to assert his deity and then we keep he keeps talking through there and and then those beautiful um words of, of his he says i told you in verse 25 and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one, my emphasis again, no one is able to snatch them out snatch them out of my Father's hand. And this is the bit that was the... Burr in the sock of these people, in verse 30. I and the Father are one. So if you want to know what God looks like, you take a long, hard look at Jesus. What do they try to do? Verse 31. They pick up some rocks and they want to end. They want to end this nightmare. They want to end this man who is equating himself as equal with the father showing he is god and then he continues to uh we won't go through it but he continues to address this particular issue and and you know say what are you stoning me for and then he goes through and and talks to them but in a love verse 39 therefore they were seeking again to seize him and what happened He eluded their grasp. Why? Because his time had not come. He was not surrendering to them at this point in time. He will surrender to them in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, you can take me now because my time has come. But at this point, whatever they tried to do was futile because his time had not come. He is supreme over all creation. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. This is not talking about Christ being a created being, in other words, the first of created beings. But this is linked to being before all creation, that is, time. He is before time and he is over creation. In other words, he has supremacy over creation. And I love just those passages in Mark chapter three and four and five and and, and where he is just showing that he has this supremacy over sickness, over nature, and over the enemy, over demons. He, has, he holds this supremacy that, that all of these things must bow to. He is the firstborn over all creation. Christ is the creator, everything created in him, by him, and for him. And this statement explains why he is over all creation, because he created it. He is the creative agent that that comes out of the Godhead. Now, when we read Genesis, we don't explicitly see Jesus Christ created, but when we get to the New Testament, we read it and we look back and we see, yes, the Trinity was at work, and it was Jesus Christ was the creative agent, the one by which creation came into being. And then Paul adds in that text, doesn't he, all creation is sustained by him. All things are held together by Christ. It's not a chaos, but it's a cosmos. And that is what Christ is sustaining. You sit back on a beautiful evening outside and you just look up into the, the great expanse of the sky and it just wows you, doesn't it? When just that beautiful universe just... it's holding its form you get a shooting star every now and then but you know that when you look at the southern cross it's going to be the same as last night and we can he is so faithful that we can actually set our calendars and our watches and our seasons by the sun and the lunar movement he's holding it and he's sustaining it all in place and I remember about uh, maybe seven or eight years ago that these scientists over in Europe wanted to recreate the Big Bang Theory. I haven't followed it. I don't know how they're going with it. But um, what was that? They're still having a crack at it, are they? Okay. And it's just fascinating, isn't it, to think that in our own fallen uh, mind but yet think we're so intelligent that we can somehow recreate, well in my opinion, the Big Bang Theory happened because God said it and bang, it happened. I mean, that's, that's the way I sort of um, interpret that. But how we can sort of think that we're going to collide two atoms together and all of a sudden we're going to have life and just sort of think, wow, you know, how, how far we strayed from, from thinking that, uh, that, that God is the creator. Everything, everyone, whether for him or against him, is entirely dependent on him for life. Philippians 2. It's a beautiful passage there, that that hymn of praise that speaks of the greatness of Christ. And he is the centre of the universe. Everything exists around him and by him and for him. I love what Bernard Bailey said. When they, when we, whoever, discover the centre of the universe, a lot of people will be disappointed to discover that they are not it. And we need to have a position that says... Christ is the centre of the universe. Verses 18 to 20, we read, He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, were the things on earth, or things in heaven Christ is supreme over the new creation that is us the church that is us his body and Christ says uh, Paul says here of Christ that he is the head he is the head of this body he uses that beautiful pictorial language that we can understand um, with our anatomy the importance of our head that sits on our shoulders and in this context here we see that for for Christ to be the head, it's it's Paul saying he is the chief. He is the, the the leader of the body. He directs the body, he guides the body, but he's also giving life to the body. He's giving strength and direction to the body. And so you see, the body, we we need our head and our, our brain and our mind to to act in a way that then flows to the rest of our extremities and and how we work as a person in order for us to work effectively. So we must remember that the the church, that is God's community of of, of, uh, believers that are his, Christ's body, we do not exist for our own purpose. And so if Christ is the head, then we exist for his own purposes, his redemptive purposes, his kingdom that's here and is coming. The body does not tell the head what to do. We exist for him and his purposes alone. Because without him, we would not be part of the body in the first place. This is the life. This is new life that he has given to us. This is not a dressed up life. But this is new life. Two Corinthians five seventeen. We are new creatures. We are new creations. Why? Because of Christ. Paul gives us three reasons why Christ is the head of the church. Firstly, in this text, we see that He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Christ's resurrection becomes the source of new life for the church. And if you, you may still have your finger somewhere close to John, John chapter fourteen. And verse 19, that last part of that verse, he says, because I live, you will live also. He is the source of new life for the church, his people, his community of believers. So Christ was truly the first to be raised from the dead and never to die again. Therefore, he opens the way for us to share in that. Jesus is God with us. And reading further into Colossians chapter 1 27, he's God with us, but he's also Christ in us. My point here is Jesus is not a part of God, in other words, part, some, some little bit of God. But Paul reminds us here in 2 uh, 9 that the fullness of God was in Christ fully God, fully man wrestle with that thought, engage in and enjoy and rest in the mystery of that statement. Fully God, yet fully man. Some, perhaps around at Paul's time, felt that there was some mystical beings that sort of fell out of the heavens that radiated God, such as angels or spirits, and contained some part of God. But here we see that God is pleased to dwell fully and permanently in Christ. And likewise, when we read that text in Colossians 1.27, that, that Christ is pleased to dwell in us when we step in faith and we take him for who he is and what he wants to do through our life. He reconciles all of creation through his death. It was through this cross that Christ was about reconciling all things to God we see here the the blood and the cross the, 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 the picture that that presents to us it speaks of the cost and the violence surrounding Christ's redemptive and reconciling work for us the blood speaks of the atoning sacrifice of Christ and in a moment we'll be entering into a time of communion together these symbols of the, the red juice, whether it be wine or grape juice and the bread, are symbols to, to speak of, of Christ's blood and his body. And, and as that text says, without the. Um, thank you. <laughs> Just had a moment. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so this speaks of that that beautiful attaining sacrifice of Christ. And in those verses there in Colossians where it talks of he's made peace, he's reconciled in verse 20, reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, his cross, through him. Peace is now established in Christ. And let me say, peace is a person. Peace is a person of jesus christ peace isn't a feeling peace is an emotion peace isn't just a state but is more than that it is the person of christ and he has made peace between us and the father and through doing that we have peace with him and we can have peace amongst us because of what christ has done And because Christ is supreme, he is also sufficient. It's a a bit of a ludicrous thought, isn't it, to think that Christ, if he is supreme, therefore he can't be sufficient. Well, the two go together. This is the point that I really think that Paul is making to the church in Colossae, that if Christ is supreme over all creation, if all of creation owes its origin, existence, its purpose in Christ, then how much more Is he able to rescue mankind from the diabolical situation that it's found itself in? How much more can he help us in the situation that we face on a daily basis in our lives, in our community here? How much more can he be supreme and sufficient, given the fact of what we've read about him being everything? In salvation, Christ is sufficient. I love that statement Christ plus nothing we don't need to add anything more to the salvation that Jesus Christ offers to us it's Christ plus nothing and we come in faith and we take him we hand out nothing for his everything our weakness for his strength that's the promise that he gives to us that's the trade if you like that he offers us in this way We don't need something else, we don't need something more but the creator and the sustainer of the universe he took on flesh and blood and he reconciled this fallen world to himself. Christ is supremely sufficient in our personal struggles. What are the things that we're holding on to? What security are we reaching for in other things rather than seeing Christ as sufficient and supreme? We'll get to the end of the road, won't we, in, in, in our struggle, in our striving. We'll cry out in our distress and it's that point that we need to open the door of our lives and abide in him, John fifteen five. Without him we can do nothing and get the life from the vine to us as the branch that we would allow him to be real in our struggles. It would, in our distress we cry out to him and we allow him to be sufficient allow him to be supreme and to have sway in that so with such a supreme lord and sufficient saviour why would we go anywhere else who else has the words of eternal life where else would we go but when we read this we ask the question why else would we go because we have Jesus Christ supreme sufficient unbelief will cause us to labour and it will cause us to strain and cause us to strive and to bear burdens that we will never ask to bear. And that cries out a message from our life to say we have a very small God. I have a small God, therefore I must do so much. But a big God makes for smaller decisions. Faith. To allow him to carry the load and to live a life of faith in the supreme and sufficient Christ and I put the question out there what is it today that God might be saying trust me, trust me I am supreme, I am sufficient and if I can add some more words there, I am good and I love you you may have been walking with Jesus for a long time and, and, and this is a, just a, a great reminder for you to just keep on keeping on, hanging in there just knowing though the world will think very differently, we have objective reality, objective truths to guide us. You might be here and just thinking, well, I've been struggling for too long and I've never seen Jesus like this maybe today's the day where you need to open the door and say Jesus I want you to be supreme and I want you to be sufficient and able in my life wherever we are on that spectrum Jesus is good and he loves us and he welcomes us into that conversation that point of surrender to allow him to do his work and have victory in our life thanks for the opportunity to encourage you over these last two weeks thank you for having us and uh, and I'll pray, and I'll hand over to Ron. Heavenly Father, we we just pause now and we be still and know that you are God. You are not cruel. You are not harsh, but the very opposite. As Adam led us earlier to encourage us to consider you as the God who comes to us, who welcomes us, who seeks us and has done so much for us that we come in faith and we just say thank you. You've done it all and we thank you for the blessing that we have to just simply pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are supreme and you are sufficient, that when we study creation, when we study the cross, when we study your life, when we study the reality of how you lived 2,000 years ago, you are the same yesterday, today and forever and that we can call upon you in our distress and believe you and take you by faith to be all that you are. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have just in these few moments to open the scriptures. And may we go from here with that just burning in our hearts, bringing life to our soul and our vision directed completely and solely to you. Thank you, Lord, and we love you and we need you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.